0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator, and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive into today's episode. My name is Adam Homie, I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are going to have a little bit of fun on today's episode because we are going to look at the... Content We're going to look at the message of a book that shows you how to grow your business like Amazon. It's actually called the Bezos Letters book. This is going to be a very interesting conversation because we're going to be taking a look at Amazon and Jeff Bezos in ways that are different than you may have seen up until now. So, as we discover how to grow your business using the Amazon success formula. I want to introduce you to your host, or to your guest rather, Steve Anderson, who is the founder of the website www.thebezosletters.com. Now, just tell you a little bit about Steve Anderson. He spent over 35 years shaping the insurance industry through a deeper understanding of emerging technologies and how business today can best integrate and leverage them. Steve is a sought-after speaker and influencer. He is also the author of the book, The Bezos Letters, where he reveals 14 principles for business growth based on the ideas and patterns that emerged when he examined Jeff Bezos' 21 annual letters to Amazon shareholders. Steve is here today to share some of the key insights he discovered, and I think it's time we start doing that. So, Steve Anderson, come on in. The weather's fine.
1: I'm here, Adam. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: All right. So, as of this point, we probably have a few listeners who are starting to lean in a little. And... They have a separate browser tab open, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, discovering more about this Steve Anderson and this website, thebezosletters.com. Steve, what I'd like if we could do is sort of take a step back before we start sharing some of the insights, and just tell us a little bit, aside from your official bio, what about your own journey has brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, and making a difference for your community, market, and audience?
1: Oh, I'd be happy to. Well, as you uh, indicated briefly, uh, my background is in the insurance industry. Uh, For the first about uh, 23 or 24 years of that, I actually sold insurance to businesses, both small and large. The last 20 years, I actually started my own firm providing research, writing, uh, speaking and consulting around the intersection of technology and uh, insurance, And, and the way I did that was examine all of the new stuff that's coming, been coming for at least the last 20 years, and actually help the industry figure out what to do with it, you know? And obviously, you know, 20 years ago, that was a lot of websites. We started, you know, talking a little bit about social platforms and marketing and engaging with clients. I also, because of my insurance background, help agents and brokers who sell insurance to businesses understand new technologies and the insurance implications to that. And that's drones and, and the sharing economy and 3D printing and you know lots of technology that actually does have uh, some insurance implications uh, to that. So it really is, uh, my background is risk, risk management, helping businesses protect uh, everything that they have built.
0: I we're going to discuss a lot about Jeff Bezos here and his letters and his style and have you. I read something very interesting about him and I loved reading it because it's validated something that I've been saying for a long time. In entrepreneurship we're taught leverage leverage leverage, outsource 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 outsource. So when I tell people that when I travel from Las Vegas to one of the cities in California that I visit for business purposes or Phoenix, Arizona, which is, you know, either way you're talking about a five mile drive that I drive it instead of fly it. Oh, well, if you're not flying, you're not really a leveraged entrepreneur. You might as well get a job. Really? <laughs> well, uh, maybe I don't want to be on somebody else's schedule, having to stand around how have people lined up, to, uh, Just salivating for the opportunity to boss me around, to have to sit in an airport terminal waiting for some plane that might be late, uh, miss a connecting flight, who knows what could happen. Whereas meanwhile, if I have my car, just get in and drive whenever I want to. And hey, if I want to come home early, come home early. If I want to stay later, stay later. don't have to check with anyone. And then while I'm on the ground, I have my own transportation. So where's the leverage there? I also tell folks that I do have an accountant, I do have a tax advisor, I do have a financial planner, they're all the same person, so I'm not doing my own taxes, but I do my own entries into QuickBooks. Here's the reason why. Because there is no better way for me to have a hands-on, real-time feel for exactly where the money is coming and going in the business. I also do this activity quarterly so I can have a picture of it placed in front of me. It's one thing to look at charts, graphs, and spreadsheets. It's another to actually feel it going through your fingertips. It gives you a perspective on your business that you're not going to see elsewhere. Now, if you get to be a huge company, you can't do that, but at my level, you certainly can. And they say, oh, that's not leveraged. You have to have a bookkeeper. Think about the value of, of your hours. Yeah, I am thinking of the value of my hours because that's giving me precious insights on how to allocate those hours and how to allocate investments, expenses, and where there are opportunities with revenues. So where I'm going with this, Steve, is I read that Jeff Bezos does his own dishes after dinner. And the reason that he does his own dishes is because he needs to involve himself in a rote kinesthetic activity that does not require brain power so that his, op- his brain has the opportunity to just flow naturally. And that's where some of his great ideas come from.
1: Yeah, actually, I, I agree with that. And it's, it's fascinating looking at his schedule, you know, normal schedule during the day. Uh, he typically wakes up uh, in the morning, but takes a slow morning. He likes to read the paper, uh, have his first cup of coffee, as opposed to kind of jumping out into those early meetings. And typically, he doesn't schedule meetings before 10 a.m. nor after 3 p.m. Because he yeah. knows that those middle hours are his best time. And yeah, I, he, he, part of what I learned by reading the letters and the research and all of the interviews and everything I looked at, Bezos does things very differently than most, certainly most CEOs and certainly CEOs of a, a large corporation like Amazon. And it's that different way of thinking that I think provides some insights uh, to others who are looking at working on and growing their business but your point is so good in terms of he understands that you need time to let things marinate and again just as you know road activities and things like that that for him aren't i think his mind is always working but he also knows how to get the most out of his thought process
0: now let me just make sure i heard this right you said to the only schedules meetings after 10 and before three.
1: And before three, because he knows he gets tired. In fact, he said a couple different times in interviews that if he makes three good decisions in a day, that's a really productive day for him.
0: Yeah, I look at things like that as well. Um, I have the same thing for breakfast every day. I have the same thing for lunch every day. I don't think about dinner. I don't think about snacks. I just know that there are certain things that I'll consume and certain things I won't, so I pick something I will.
1: Right. Uh,
0: I, I have, when people see me around uh, in town, uh, when, when, you know, when I go places to hang out or I go to the rotary meetings or what have you, I've had people comment, it seems like I'm wearing the same thing every time. Well, technically, no. Technically, yes. I am wearing basically the same shirt, basically the same jeans, basically the same sneakers. But I have about like five copies of each thing I own because yep. that's a decision point I eliminated. I don't exactly. have to think about that for the same reason that you'll notice that whoever happens to be president of the United States typically wears a blue suit with either a red or blue tie. It's one less decision I have to make.
1: Yep, exactly. Uh, certainly, Steve Jobs is very famous, you know, for the outfit, right? And uh, and the, again, the reason is reducing the number of decisions because frankly we all only have so much energy in a day for decisions. And so the fewer I can make, the ones I do make typically can be better decisions for me individually and or for uh, the business itself.
0: Yeah, I discovered this, my commitment to this a bit early is I like to tell folks when I went to, when I was uh, in my early twenties and after I graduated from college, when uh, I decided to go on to MBA school and then start my business, I still lived in my parents' house for a couple of years. Now, I had a full time job and then, I, and then I had school, or then I was spending the evening working to get my side hustle into my primary thing, uh, with the plan being that I would move out at that time. I made that decision because, generally speaking, I wasn't even there that much anyway. And because instead of paying rent and dealing with maintaining a home, I wanted to reinvest that time and money into my venture to get it to be a full-time thing so I could live off it. One small item is, my mother is one of those people, God love her, who spends hours and hours a day planning dinner. Mm. I, I mean, I think, you know, there are people out there like that, and I would I would not give her my number at work because I knew what she would do is she would she would start calling asking me what I wanted for dinner (laughs) and uh, then she figured out uh, and this would happen almost every day it'd be around maybe 10 after 4 and it'd be about 20 minutes before I'd be ready to leave the office and start heading to the next step whether it was um, to my home office to work on the business to the gym or whatever I was doing but anyway I was getting ready to leave my day job. And my cellular phone would ring, and it would be her, and I wouldn't answer it. Because I knew it was her starting to nag me about dinner. And when I did get home, the very first thing she would say is, I called you, and you didn't call back. I said, yes, as I say every day. If you're calling to ask me what I want for dinner, I will not return your call. You know what I won't eat. Anything else is good. I don't have brain power for this. Mm -hmm. I I was actually trying to live up to that adage of, you live in my house, you eat my food, you eat what I eat. And if you don't like it, go get your own. (laughs) I I mean, I I, I was, I was one of those rare people that was actually trying to abide by that. It's like, it's like, make whatever the hell you want. I don't want to think about this. Even in today's life, you you know what I, you know what I sometimes do when I get into a real busy period, period, there's a place around here that will prepare vegan meals and you can buy a week's worth of meals. It's like $60. I'll Mm -hmm. go buy a week's worth of meals and put in my refrigerator because it's one less decision point. Breakfast is always the same. Lunch is always the same. And now I know there are five dinners sitting in my refrigerator and I know that any one of them is good.
1: No, I think that's a really good principle in terms of uh, spending your energy on, again, the decisions that, uh, you need to be intentional about and making sure you make the best ones possible.
0: All right, absolutely. Now, going back to Jeff Bezos, I I love that picture from like the late 1990s of what the Amazon offices were look, looked like. And there was like a, a piece of paper with amazon.com written on it. And it was in the corner of a warehouse. And then you see how he's living now. Right Now he took some risks to get there. He did. So, you call Bezos the master of risk. Now, how do you know when you're taking too much risk or not enough risk?
1: Well, and that really is the question. And, and one of the primary questions that, you know, that started me on the journey here of uh, researching and what the book became to be is that as I looked at technology and how fast it was developing, new stuff coming out quicker and quicker and quicker. What I realized is a lot of the businesses that I work with, both who I helped uh, with their insurance, as well as those agents and brokers, I started actually wondering, is the biggest risk they're facing not taking enough risk? And that's counterintuitive, certainly in the insurance industry, and even for entrepreneurs and, and startup companies, because you know we think of them as risk takers but are they taking the right risks or are they taking the risks they should be taking? Uh, Because we know all the statistics about how, how many companies actually make it the first year or the first five years. And there's potentially a disconnect there. And so I was researching companies that did it, well. Uh, I was researching companies that didn't do it well. And those names we know is, you know, Kodak or BlackBerry or Blockbuster or now Sears and some of the retail uh, uh, t- companies. And the ones that did it well are, are a few, you know, uh, Microsoft is an interesting one that's kind of come back over the last few years, but yep. certainly Amazon has a long history of invention and innovation. And I believe the core of that is how Bezos looks at and approaches risk-taking. He said in several places in the letters that Amazon is the best place for an employee to fail. And that's why principle number one is encourage successful failure. Bezos has an understanding, I think, better and different than most people I know, that in order to invent, you need to experiment. And if you're going to experiment, you're going to fail. And so there's typically in a business a disconnect between being successful and failure. If you're going to fail at something, what are the consequences to that? Uh, And and actually, I believe that people don't really fear failure. We all know. I mean, from the time we first started walking, we kept falling down, kept getting up, kept falling down. I've got seven grandchildren, and I I watch them learn to walk or learn to do something new. They do it wrong a lot until they get it right. But we get that, you know, taken away from us as we get into business, and I believe that's a mistake. And I think. Bezos thinks that's a mistake because if you aren't experimenting, you're not pushing the boundary. You're not testing, you're not inventing new things. Um, And that's why that idea of successful failure, you know, is it catches people's attention because you don't typically have those two words associated together, but at Amazon and Bezos, it is a core way they have grown. And and Amazon has made some huge failures, but they've learned from them and and then created new products uh, from that.
0: You know, you say about Microsoft, and yeah, Microsoft is one of those, you would think, you you would have thought 10 years ago that Microsoft is on its way out and we were all going to be using uh, MacBooks and things like that within a few years. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. In fact, they were on their way out. They they, they, they,
0: were. I mean, mean, you have to to remember, this is a company that came up with Internet Explorer 6. Right. And anybody (laughs) anybody who's ever edited a website knows what I mean when I say Internet Explorer 6. I mean, if you think of the hundreds of millions of dollars that have been paid to web design companies to make sure it's IE6 compatible.
1: Right. And... And now they're paying millions of dollars to make sure it's cross-platform compatible,
0: which which is actually not as which is actually a smaller deal than than IE6. Right. Yeah, Because, exactly. cross, I mean, because cross-platform, uh, if you if you have. If you're following some basic guiding principles, it'll be pretty much cross-platform without too much effort, as long as you're using the right CSS codes and what have you, uh, or CSS3 or whatever they're calling it these days. I don't know what these kids are doing. But uh, (laughs) with Internet Explorer 6, uh, you you, you could create something that would work for every other browser and every other platform. Then you had to go basically create a separate CSS and a separate set of codes just to accommodate this one idiot browser. So, uh, yeah, so Microsoft did that and then they and then they did uh, Windows 7 and they were trying too hard to be Apple and missed the point that, yeah, there are actually people who like the Windows system because they like the Windows system. So you've seen as we've come through eight and now we're up to 10 that even though, you know, Microsoft has obviously had to evolve because of smartphones and tablets. That you see some of the old Windows stuff is back and it starts to feel like Windows again because they got the point that, hey, we actually have fans who get excited about our stuff. Not everybody is secretly craving an iPhone and a MacBook. Wow.
1: Yeah. <gasps> Well, and I think with the new CEO, they've they've certainly gotten a, a better vision for who they are and where they play in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, and and now you've really got, you know, the, the big five. Certainly, Amazon is in there. Microsoft is now Apple, Facebook and um, Google kind of as 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 the big five. And, you know, again, my focus was on Amazon specifically. And what was it? I mean, my my original question really was, what was it about Bezos and Amazon that allowed them to scale in such a short period of time? I and mean, they, they just turned 25 years old this year. And they were the fastest company ever to reach hundred billion dollars in sales. You know, and my question was why, how, how did they do it? What was, was there a secret sauce or, you know, was it just um, Bezos who who was smarter than everybody else? And part of what fascinated me was the letters that he wrote, and he started in 1997, was the original letter. The last one is 2018. And as I read through those letters, I was really amazed that he laid out, hidden in plain sight, his plan for growing Amazon. And And that's when it really hit me that, you know, that was his plan for growing Amazon, but he actually laid out, I think, for any kind and type of business, principles that they can use to grow also. And so that's, that's the core of what I've done in the book. And the, the 14 principles are actually broken down into four cycles, test, build, accelerate, and scale. And I think regardless of whether you're a solopreneur just getting started or you're a, a, you know, large company with thousands of employees, every business goes through these different cycles and the principles that apply within them can be helpful that to uh, a business owner or um, exec- an executive team to figure out what to do next.
0: Yeah. Now i uh... Next thing that we wanna cover here is the customer focus a little bit. And I think that uh, with Internet Explorer 6 and, uh, and Windows 7, Microsoft kind of lost their way for a little bit and I'm glad to see they came back because I think they were focusing on somebody else's customers there for a minute. Now with, with Amazon and Jeff Bezos and all that, there is a distinction when it comes to your customer focus. And you have written about why it's crucial to become a customer-obsessed business and not just customer-focused business. So where is that line and how do we make that crossover to the level of being customer-obsessed?
1: Well, and it's interesting because, as, as you know, Adam, I mean, virtually every business uh, out there knows they need to take care of customers. If they don't do that, they're not going to stay in business very long the question becomes how well do they do it and and really what is their focus when they do it? And so we talk about customer service, customer focus, customer journey, customer experience. We have lots of terms we use around that interaction between us and the customer. At Amazon and Bezos specifically, he talks about customer obsession as a core idea. Right. Uh, and in fact, in the very first letter, 1997, he has a whole section called Obsess Over Customers. And what intrigued me with that was the word obsess, because that has a very different connotation than just service or focus or experience. Obsessive is completely focused. And so as he developed this idea over the years, he had multiple phrases like, we invent on behalf of the customer. We always start with the customer first when we're looking at a new product or service. And if it's better for the customer, it's going to ultimately be better for Amazon. Uh, And there are a couple of examples of that. I'm going to use prime as one example of their customer obsession Sure. in early 2000, you know, prime, right. Free two day shipping. We take it for granted now, but when it first started in the early two thousands, it was revolutionary. Nobody who was selling online was paying for shipping, but it was one of the friction points for customers. They, when they looked at the shipping cost and typically it was at the end of the process, right? When you're just getting ready to buy, you see how much it's gonna cost to ship. And people would abandon the cart or they wouldn't go through with it or it was just another decision point. And Bezos had a gut feeling and I, I really think it was a gut feeling that again, if it's better for the customer, meaning now I don't have to worry about shipping, it's going to ultimately be better for Amazon and Amazon shareholders. Now, what people either don't remember or don't know is that the Amazon executive leadership at the time was completely against Prime. This was a decision that Bezos made, that we were going to forward with this, we'll test it. And they did. And again, back to that experimental mindset and they tweaked it a little bit and it was actually fairly slow taking off early but when they started adding other services to prime like video that's when it really started taking off and gaining traction and it is expensive in fact amazon's experiencing that now going from two day to one day shipping which they announced earlier this year Um, and you know their earnings are taking a hit but amazon again if it's better for the customer, it will ultimately be better for the business. And again, it's hard to argue with their growth and their success, both from a stock price, profitability, right, all of the different metrics that we use uh, to measure a business success.
0: You know, I didn't know myself that there had been so much opposition to Prime. And you think, Amazon Prime is so much a part of our lives. This is the point where Amazon Prime is part of our grocery shopping experience now.
1: Yes, absolutely. I,
0: I, I don't have cable, uh, so when I want entertainment, where do I go? Amazon Prime. Amazon They've Prime. They've got great movies. Uh, when I uh, when I want to buy books, what gets me the free shipping? Amazon Prime. What gets yep. the book there faster? Amazon Prime. I mean, yep. Uh, it's it's one of those things that. for for better or worse, has become a part of what we do in life, and you made a comment earlier that Amazon has had some huge successes, and they've also had some spectacular failures, and that's why I brought up the Microsoft stuff, just to show that it's not just Amazon. A lot of companies have done it, and my final point about Microsoft, and I'm not going to mention them again unless you do, is that uh, you've, know, you've made the observation they're making a big comeback and they're really on their game now and they're doing a lot of great things. And I would argue it's because of Internet Explorer 6 and Windows 7 because they were willing to make their lessons and discoveries from those things and it helped get them on a better path. So Yeah, uh, and
1: that's the key concept behind yeah. um, successful failure is yeah. you know, are you learning are you trying and experimenting? And again, by its very nature, an experiment means you're going to fail because right. if you don't fail in an experiment, it's not an experiment. Um, and what do you, you know, what are you going to do forward? The, the One of the better examples for Amazon in failure is in 2014, Jeff Bezos stepped on stage and announced the brand new Amazon fire phone. Well, it was a utter and complete failure in fact a few months after that announcement they lowered the price to 99 cents and they still couldn't give them away who needed a phone think about 2014 we had made our decisions either android or, or iphone or something else right we didn't need another phone that was from amazon and you know the phone was okay it had a few technical you know, advances, and you know for one thing, you could speak into the phone and a song would start playing. This was you know a little early for some of that that we take for granted now. So utter failure. In fact, Amazon wrote off 178 million dollars in inventory and, and development costs at the end of 2014. Big failure. However, right. four months after the phone was announced, the very first prototype was shown to Jeff Bezos of what we now know as Amazon Echo uh, and or yeah. Alexa, right? So all of that voice stuff that they learned about the phone, they took and were able to incorporate that into a device that could operate as a, a voice assistant.
0: Yeah. One other thing I want to say before we move on to our next thing, and I deal with this with my consulting, and I've heard this over 16 years of being in entrepreneurship. Uh, if you ever heard the phrases, well, um, uh, I don't know about that idea because I don't think that my that my people would uh, really like that, or uh, I, I didn't post about that on Facebook because those people aren't really my customers. Well, and, my, and my and my and and when i hear that the first thing i say is who the fuck do you think you are yeah oh oh my god i said the f word and and i and i and i and i and i challenged something whoa whoa and if you and if you saw me i'm actually standing up out of my chair now see for our listeners what i just did was a dramatic a dr- very dramatic pattern interrupt because you might've been listening to business creators radio while you're typing away at something else. And then this guy drops the F bomb. Oh my God. So <laughs> now that we've got that all the way, the reason I say that is because they say, wait, what'd you say? Yeah. So you're assuming the right to make decisions for other people without involving them in that decision process. Well, who died and made you, God, that yeah. you get to decide that they're not your customers or that they won't buy without giving them the chance to make that decision for themselves?
1: Well and you I see, see I
0: take that needle and I move it all the way over because I want to make the point. And I cover this in Groundhog Days and Invent Not a business strategy which is my book and I ask the same question. Who do you think you are? And and uh, since when do you get the right to make decisions for other people without involving them in that decision? This is where this is where I've seen Amazon and other companies like that, I promise I wouldn't mention the other names, they'll do that. They'll put things out there that may or may not work, but they'll let their customers tell them no, rather than just assuming it.
1: And that's a key distinction, um, I think, in in terms of certainly what Amazon does. You see them experiment all the time with new stuff, and they'll close it down. They'll you'll see it pop up in a different iteration, because they've learned from their customer interaction with the product or service or platform, whatever it is that they're trying to create, and. Again, a key idea at Amazon, especially, is long-term thinking. Uh, And so that that is such a key idea at Amazon. They're willing to invest and experiment for years to get something right. Um, A a quick example, uh, drones. Jeff Bezos was on 60 Minutes um, six years ago now talking about using drones to deliver packages and literally the press tore them apart. Publicity stunt, you know, that's never going to happen. And and now, you know, we're seeing realities of that happening. Now, five and six years of development and testing and figuring out how it's going to work and the regulatory, right? All kinds of stuff around there. It's hard. And they see that as a key factor moving forward. Again, to benefit the customer by faster delivery. you know. So for Amazon, they've got three pillars of customer service, customer engagement. Um, the first is wide selection, so the everything store. The second is low prices. And the third is fast delivery. Uh, and in fact, Bezos says in a uh, pr- letter probably around 2008, 2009, that we can't imagine as a company that customers will want less selection Um, Higher prices and slower delivery. And again, you continue to see them push forward on those three core tenets, core customer pillars, as Bezos calls them as they move forward. But it is always testing with the customer to see what they react to what they will actually do.
0: Yeah. You uh, have also referred to the three customer experience pillars. So if you could tell us what those are and how somebody can implement them in their own company.
1: Well, those are the, the three, as Bezos calls, calls them, the customer experience pillars. Those are the three. So uh, wide selection, low prices, and fast delivery. Those so we discovered it. We discovered it. Just, Great. We just awesome. covered that. Right. Um, and again, how any business can look at that you know what are the pillars in your own business so you know and, and and here's where we need to separate i'm not saying in the book that you will be the next amazon but what can you learn from them and this is an area so one of your pillars may not be low prices if i'm a luxury brand that's not one of my pillars but what might be it would be what value can i bring because of the luxury brand that I have or the the high-end experience or product or service that, that I provide. So don't think you have to mimic Amazon, but use it as a tool to help you think through what is it in my business that my customers expect from us and that I can deliver to them consistently and, and benefit them.
0: Yeah, so... I get, again, I you know, again, I, I what I love about that is how there's also some flexibility to that because for perhaps for some Amazon businesses or some lines of business within Amazon, Bezos determined that low prices were one of the were one of the factors. And I can tell you right now that like with my business, if somebody comes to me and they and every time I open my mouth, the very first thing they say is how much does that cost. That's that conversation is not going to last very long.
1: Right, that's that's an indicator that that may not be your ideal client. And that's Oh, I,
0: I already I already know that because yes. I know I, I know how that's I know how that story ends. And yes. the good and the good news, the good news for the folks who will constantly ask how much does that cost is there are providers, there are platforms, there are partners that will provide them an experience that is based on price. And maybe that's good enough for them. Mhm. And exactly. or, or, or maybe they really are just looking to uh, you know really keep the prices down, and they have flexibility to deal with some of the issues that can arise with that. And for some people, that's a valid decision. So right. I'm not no saying, I'm not saying you're not an entrepreneur because you're putting price first. Hey, for some people that works. And, and as I say, there are people out there, there are companies out there waiting to cater to them. Yep, exactly. So put them together and make a match. So uh, now we, uh, earlier in this conversation, we covered a little bit about how Jeff Bezos' decision process works. The thing where he, he, he washes his own dishes and uh-huh. we got into you know, removing decision points in our day-to-day business. Now there's this thing called high-velocity decision-making. How does high-velocity decision-making catapult growth using – Bezos two main types of decisions and I'm not sure if we covered what those are so if you No can we, we haven't memory. yet
1: yeah right. be, no we haven't so so Bezos describes decision making at Amazon and he describes it as two types as you indicated type one and type two very simple type one decisions are big decisions typically bet the farm as he describes it, type one decisions are hard to reverse So, if we make a decision to move forward on something, if they're hard to change and reverse, that's a type one decision. And he says, those those decisions should be made carefully with lots of data and very intentionally. Right. Type two decisions are decisions that are easily reversible. And again, I'm using his phrase there. Meaning we make a decision, we, this is how he describes it, we walk through that door of that decision and we look and see on the other side and we don't like what we see, we can easily, relatively speaking sometimes, turn around and, and either pivot to a different decision or just literally turn around and come back and say, nope, that's not what I expected. That's, we don't want to go forward with that. Here's the problem. He says that as a company grows, they tend to move type two decisions to type one. Now think about it, as a company grows, you may have different levels of decision-making. So I might have to go to my supervisor and the supervisor might have to go to the department head and the department head might have to go to the VP of, uh, of the group. Anytime you slow decision-making down, you slow growth. And that, he sees, is the problem. So as a company gets bigger, they slow down, which means that actually the biggest risk a larger company faces is becoming successful. Because then they start protecting what got them there, as opposed to looking at where they need to go next yeah and so, at Amazon, they work at pushing decision making down to the lowest level, capable of making the decision and not moving and not requiring multi layers of approval process and like that, that also means some of those decisions are going to be wrong, but again, this is where the principles interact with each other. If I have created a culture in the company and an environment where it's okay to fail, then literally we can say, you know, this is a bad this was a bad decision. We, this, this is not the way we want to go. Let's change it. And again, do it quickly because one of the core values at Amazon is defaulting to action, not analysis. And so that's that I think is. Helpful uh, as I talk to people who have looked at the book and I've explained this idea of how Amazon handles decisions, it allows a a method for speeding up that process.
0: Yeah, in, in my book, I Groundhog Days is an event, not a business a business strategy. I draw a distinction between activity and action, and this is something that's very. Important to pay attention to when you're in startup mode, and also when you're in the mode that many of our listeners are, where you're making the transition from being solopreneurial to being a leveraged organization with team members, employees, and contractors, is activity can be defined as things like, well, having lots of meetings, planning decisions, drawing Venn charts, whatever the hell they are. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I'm a, and I'm a consultant and I'm not even sure what they are. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, to, to me, that's a lot of activity. So it says, oh, look at that. We've planned it through. <laughs> okay. Action is when you go out there is when you go out there and do it. Um, I may slightly tick off somebody who I know may be listening to this and, uh, I'll be happy to address this with them privately later, but I, am. Um, was involved in a project last year where uh, I, my firm was consulting on the uh, marketing and promotion side for an event. And somebody else on the team came up with these. See, I, I can't remember if they're called Venn charts or Venn diagrams. I just know the word mm-hmm. Venn is in there and it's named after the inventor. That's all I know. And um, and they wanted to have a conversation with me about how my activities plug into the Venn chart, uh, and my answer was, write lots of emails, give to virtual assistants. Right. That was, that was my entire activity, and, and no, I don't know what days they're going to be, because I'm going to base it on returns. I I, I need to see this actually being marketed. I need to see what people are signing up for. I need to rotate a few messages repetitively to see which ones get the signups. I need to look at times a day. I need to look at all kinds of factors that I can only know once I actually get out there with the people and get their response before I can tell you what this is going to look like. So my entire answer is write lots of emails, give the virtual assistant to send out. And if you want to take one long arrow and write that in it, that's my contribution.
1: Yeah, and here's an interesting corollary to that, uh, again, with what Bezos does, and it it speaks to the... Um, principle in the scale area called measure what matters question what's measured and trust your gut yeah bezos published his email address in the let's say 2006 or 7 letters to shareholders and he said you know please write us to talk about your experience at amazon that email is still valid today anybody can still send an email to him now he doesn't review those anymore he has a team oh yeah but here's the importance of that and again talk about Like you said, the idea of Amazon measures absolutely everything. They are absolutely a data-driven company, but they question what's measured and they trust their gut. That email address, if he is receiving, and the team is now trained to look at this, but he did it himself early on. If he sees emails from customers that highlight a continuing problem that they're having, all of their data may say, no, everything's running smoothly, but the anecdotal information is saying, no, it's not for these customers, what's wrong? And he actually will forward that email to the head of the department or whoever's responsible for that particular area with a a single character, a question mark, and that means Find out why this is happening. Do we have a problem in the process we don't know about or haven't identified? Right. And then you can have as much data as you want. In fact, back to our decision process, Bezos says you should make type two decisions with at most 70% of the data you would like to have because waiting for 80, 90, 95%, is just slowing things down. And frankly, the decision won't be that much better. So absolutely measure, question what you're measuring, but ultimately trust your gut. And that's what he did with Prime, right? The the yeah. data was saying, we can't afford to do this. He trusted his gut saying, it's gonna be better for the customers. We need to experiment and try this.
0: And going back to what we've also shared about the Bezos style is if Prime had been a bomb, he could have just boldly said, eh, well, "We tried," and just turned it off.
1: Exactly. exactly and, right.
0: and at the same time, preserve the frame, the the prime framework in the background, and perhaps use pieces of it in other launches and innovations.
1: Yeah, exactly. In fact, he did that with Marketplace. So Marketplace is the third-party seller platform. Yep. They they went through Marketplace is the third iteration of trying to figure out how to. Remember, back to our customer pillars, how to have wider selection. First was called uh, Amazon Auctions. It was a direct competitor to eBay at the time. This is early 2000s. Failed because people didn't think of Amazon as an auction place. Second was called Z Shops, which was a separate part of the Amazon website where third-party sellers could sell their stuff that didn't work because customers didn't want to log into another section of the website right they finally came up with marketplace where they literally put a third-party seller's product right next to an amazon product here's what Bezos said and again back to our customer obsession if the customer finds what they're looking for on amazon even if we don't sell it or a third party can sell it cheaper than we can, that's better for the customer and ultimately that's better for Amazon. Again, revolutionary idea. You're gonna open up the platform uh, that we've built, spent millions if not billions of dollars creating to third parties who are gonna compete directly with us. Again, didn't make sense except he trusted his gut and now 2018, 58% 58% of all sales on the Amazon website come from third-party sellers, not Amazon sold products.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of the things that I think is really, really great about, uh, you know, the Amazon philosophy is that willingness to look at what's ultimately good for the customer. Here's another thing that came to mind as you were saying that. When folks use the Amazon platform to launch their self-published books, or they're working through a small imprint publisher, and I think you know the story, they get all their friends together, they drop the price of the Kindle into 99 cents, and they say, everybody buy the Kindle on this day so I can get my number one bestseller badge. Right. Well, I've spoken with folks at Amazon personally, and uh, and they've said that they are fully aware that self-published authors will get their friends together and have them all buy the, the reduced price Kindle so they can get their bestseller badge in some sub subcategory they can easily become number one in based on using KD Spy that says, sell 14 books in this category and you'll become an international bestseller.
1: Right, exactly. Now,
0: they also recognize that for Amazon, that's not necessarily a sustainable model. So they... And this is where I think, I'm going to paraphrase what the the Amazon employee said to me, and I think this strikes a nice balance. They understand and respect that people want to use the Amazon platform to become international bestsellers, and they want to support people becoming Amazon international bestsellers. At the same time, they want people to keep coming back to the Amazon platform, not just to buy 99 cent Kindle books all the time. So what we've seen and how Amazon picks its best sellers and how they've adjusted the algorithms is you will have more success selling your book if you can generate a steady stream of purchases over time. So now it's no longer so much about being the number one international bestseller; It's more about becoming a consistent best seller, not necessarily number one. You will get more rewards if you can consistently keep your book in the top 10 or the top five or maybe even the top 15, because you're keeping more and more and more people coming to Amazon, coming to Amazon, coming to Amazon. Because what happens is they'll buy your Kindle book, they'll go to the page that says, congratulations, it's in your Kindle library, then there will be suggestions for other things and people will keep shopping.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that,
0: that, 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 I mean, that's a long paraphrase, and the other person had a better way of saying it than I just did, but that's the gist of it, is they change the way they reward self-published authors for their efforts to encourage more people to come to the Amazon platform, and to me, that's a nice balance.
1: Absolutely, I totally agree with that, and that comes back, the KDP platform actually comes back to another core value at Amazon, which is self-service. Part of what revolutionized publishing is allowing independent publishers, you know, self-publishers who, who have an idea for a book, can't get a, a publisher to pick it up, and but they can get it out on the platform. That's core. In fact, Bezos says that uh, one of the keys to customer satisfaction is getting rid of the gatekeepers, his term, around getting things done. And that's what they did with uh, Kindle Direct Publishing as just yeah. one example to that. And, and um, yeah, very, again, very interesting. And at Amazon, here's another kind of wrinkle on that. At Amazon, a customer having to contact Amazon is actually considered a failure Now, most businesses say customer service may be core to what we do, right? We engage with our customer, we help them. At Amazon, the thinking is a bit different. And again, you gotta take this a, a little bit depending on your own situation. But are there, one, if there is a problem, do we have a problem in the process? So let's not just fix it for this customer, but let's go back and find out what caused the problem that required them to contact us in the first place. And let's fix the core issue. Second, let's give them self-service capability so they can fix it themselves without having to wait for us. Right. Third, what can we do to automate so we literally can monitor and tell when there's a bad experience? This happens now quite a bit around the the video streaming. So if you have a problem with a, a, a Prime Video, let's say you bought a movie for 2.99 and there was a problem with the playback, they have automated solutions now to monitor that and literally proactively contact you and say, "Hey, we noticed you were having trouble watching this movie. We've uh, autom- we've already refunded your money. We apologize for the problem." Yeah. And, and I think those three ideas can help an existing business think differently about customer service. And, and where the caution is, I'm not saying don't talk to people and just automate everything. You can actually talk to somebody at Amazon. But right. don't force me to talk to you if the, the issue I can correct myself.
0: See, that right there is a nice balance, Um, and I was actually pleasantly surprised when I was getting ready to launch Groundhog Day as an event, not a business strategy, and I was having a real hard time getting the Kindle version of the manuscript uploaded for some weird reason. I don't know Mm -hmm. what was going on. I was following all the instructions, and I was pleasantly surprised that I was able to pick up the telephone and press a number, and there was a human being who spoke English who knew what to do and walked me through it. Exactly. I was. I actually wasn't expecting that because we've gone so far with automation and self-service that actually that actually getting the phone answered at all is like raising the bar. Yeah, exactly. Whereas whereas Amazon has moved it back <laughs> over a little bit to yeah yeah we'll actually put a person on the phone and they'll help you. Right. Yep. Yeah, we're going to get, we're going to give you everything you can to do it yourself with the expectation that you'll try that and it'll work for most people. But if you're legitimately stuck with it, we're right here. We'll help you through it.
1: We'll help you through it. Exactly. Wow. Yes, exactly. And again, that's that nice combination and balance between automation and human connection and, and. That's, I think, what we need to keep in mind. We need to automate those things that should be and keep that person in the loop uh, for when, in your case, you needed somebody to, to explain the issue to and, and walk you through.
0: Exactly. So uh, at this point... We're pretty much at the top of the hour, Steve, I and, see I that. Wanted to, um, and I just wanted to turn the floor over to you for one moment here because um, I don't know if you have something you wanted to share with us or you wanted to give us a, a perspective of what's coming next, but let's say somebody wants to discover more about the Amazon success formula and how they can apply it to their business and wants to discover more about the Bezos letters and what that's all about. Where, where do we go from here, Steve?
1: Well, and you mentioned it uh, when we first started, but the website is thebezosletters.com, and there are Couple of additional resources on there. There's some bonus material if you buy the book, uh, just to help you work through some of the principles uh, that uh, I talk through in the book. And there's also an assessment uh, that's free. uh, Anybody can take. uh, That will, through a pretty simple, you know, questionnaire, will give you an idea what principles might apply in your business. uh, First, right? There are 14. That's a lot. And so this will help you identify those principles that um, you could begin thinking about and working on in your own business.
0: Agreed. Agreed. So again, it's www.thebezosletters.com. Please check out Steve Anderson's profile on businesscreatorsradioshow.com and you'll see that link. So you can visit there, you can discover how you can buy the book, you can discover how you can work with Steve Anderson, how you can book Steve Anderson. I mean, there's so many different ways you can engage with him, but I strongly encourage you to go to that website and check it out. I do believe I will be picking up my copy as well so I can see some of these sharehold, shareholder letters. Plus, you have some interesting bonuses I think I'm going to want to look at too. I'll, uh, I'll not I, say- I hope what, so. We tried yeah, to
1: put some interesting stuff together. For yeah. I, I'll, yeah.
0: Not, I'll not with, say what they are out loud for two reasons. Number one, I want people to go to your website. And number two, I don't want to lock you in in case you add more later.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and we're always working on material, certainly based on feedback we're getting from people reading the book and the questions they have.
0: Wow, responding to customer feedback. Crazy idea, huh? Crazy idea, (laughs) yes. (laughs) All right. Okay, so Steve Anderson, author of The Bezos Letters. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education.
1: Adam, thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, and...